Chapter Six of Faces and Places. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. Faces and Places by Henry W. Lucy. Chapter Six. To those about to become journalists, an open letter. My dear young friends, I suppose no one not prominently engaged in journalism knows how widely spread is the human conviction that, failing all else, anyone can write for the papers, making a lucrative living on easy terms amid agreeable circumstances. I have often wondered how Dickens, familiar as he was with this frailty, did not make use of it in the closing epoch of Micawber's life before he quitted England. Knowing what he did, as letters coming to light at this day testify, it would seem to be the most natural thing in the world that finally, nothing else having turned up, it should occur to Dickens that Mr. Micawber would join the press. Probably as editor, certainly on the editorial staff, possibly as dramatic critic, a position which involves a free run of the theatres, and a more than nodding acquaintance with the dramatic stars of the day. Perhaps Dickens avoided this episode because it was too literally near the truth in the life of the person who, all unconsciously, stood as the lay figure of David Copperfield's incomparable friend. It is, I believe, not generally known that Charles Dickens' father did in his last desolate days become a member of the press. When Dickens was made editor of the Daily News, he thoughtfully provided for his father by installing him leader of the parliamentary corps of that journal. The old gentleman, of course, knew nothing of journalism, was not even capable of shorthand. Providentially he was not required to take notes, but generally to overlook things a post which exactly suited Mr. Micawber. So he was inducted, and filled the office even for a short time after his son had impetuously vacated the editorial chair. Only the other day there died an original member of the Daily News Parliamentary Corps, who told me he quite well remembered his first respected leader his grandly vague conception of his duties, and his almost ducal manner of not performing them. Of the many letters that come to me, with the assurance that I have in my possession blank appointments on the editorial and reportorial staff of all contemporary journals, paying good salaries, the saddest are those written by more than middle-aged men with families. Some have for years been earning a precarious living as reporters or sub-editors on obscure papers, and now find themselves adrift. Others are men who, having vainly knocked at all other gates, are flushed by the happy thought that at least they can write acceptably for the newspapers. Others, again, already engaged in daily work, are anxious to burn the midnight oil, and so add something to a scanty income. These last are chiefly clergymen and schoolmasters, educated men with a love of letters, 
and the idea that, since it is easy and pleasant to read, it must be easy to write, and that in the immensity of newspapers and periodical literature there would be not only room, but eager welcome for them. This class of correspondence is curiously alike in one feature. There is an almost sprightliness in their conviction that what they can write in these circumstances would exactly suit any paper, daily or weekly, morning or evening. All they have to do is to give up their odd savings of time to the work. All you, their hapless correspondent, have to do is to fill up one of those blank appointments with which your desk is clogged and send it to them by first post. There is no other profession in the world thus viewed by outsiders. No one supposes he can make boots, cut clothes, or paint the outside of a house without having served some sort of apprenticeship, not to mention the possession of special aptitude. Anyone can, right off, become a journalist. Such as these, and all those about to become journalists, I would advise to study a book published several years ago. It is The Life of James MacDonnell, a name which, before this book was published, was an idle sound to the outer world, though to contemporary workers in the inner circle of the press, MacDonnell was known as one of the ablest and most brilliant of modern journalists. In these short and simple annals, the aspirant who imagines the successful journalist's life is all beer and skittles will discover what patient study, what self-denial, what strenuous effort, and, more essential than all, what rare natural gifts are needed to achieve the position into which MacDonald toiled. It is this last consideration that makes me doubt whether there is any utility in offering practical hints to those about to become journalists. If a boy or youth has in him the journalistic faculty, it will come out, whatever unpromising or adverse circumstances he may be born to. If he has it not, he had very much better take to joinering or carpentering, to clerking, or to the dispensation of goods over the retail counter. Journalism is an honourable and, for those specially adapted, a lucrative profession. But it is a poor business for the man who has mistaken his way into it. The very fact that it has such strong allurement for human nature makes harder the struggle for life with those engaged in its pursuit. I gather from facts brought under my personal notice that at the present time there are, proportionately with its numbers, more unemployed in the business of journalism than in any other, not exceeding that of the dockers. When a vacancy occurs on any staff, the rush to fill it is tremendous. Where no vacancy exists, the knocking at the doors is incessant. All the gates are thronged with suitors, and the accommodation is exceedingly limited. 
The first thing the youth who turns his face earnestly towards journalism should convince himself of is that the sole guiding principle controlling admission to the press or advance in its ranks is merit. This, as your communications, my dear young friends, have convinced me, is a statement in direct contravention of general belief. You are convinced that it is all done by patronage, and that if only someone in authority will interest himself in you, you straightway enter upon a glorious career. There is, however, no royal road to advancement on the press. Proprietors and editors simply could not afford it. Living as newspapers do in the fierce light focused from a million eyes, fighting daily with keen competition, the instinct of self-preservation compels their directors to engage the highest talent where it is discoverable, and failing that, the most sedulously nurtured skill. For this they will pay almost anything, and they ask nothing more, neither blood relationship, social distinction, nor even academic training. In journalism, more than in any other profession, not excepting the bar, a man gets on by his own effort, and only by that. Of course, proprietors and even editors may, if the commercial prosperity of their journal permit the self-indulgence, find salaried situations for brothers, sons, or nephews, or may oblige old friends in the same direction. Charles Dickens, as we have seen, made his father manager of the parliamentary corps of the Daily News. But that did not make him a journalist nor did he, after his son's severance of his connection with the paper, long retain the post. This line of reflection is, I am afraid, not encouraging to you, my dear young friends, but it leads up to one fact in which I trust you will be justified in finding ground for hope. Amongst the crowd struggling to obtain a footing within the pale of journalism, the reiterated rebuffs they meet with naturally lead to the conviction that it is a sort of close borough, those already in possession jealously resenting the efforts of outsiders to breach its sacred portals. Nothing could be further removed from the fact. A nugget of gold is not more pleasing to the sight of the anxious miner than is the discovery by the editor or manager of a newspaper of a new light in the world of journalism. This I put in the forefront of friendly words of advice to those about to enter journalism. Get rid of the fatal idea that someone will open the door for you and land you safely inside. You must force the door yourself with incessant knocking if need be, prepared for searching inquiry as to your right to enter but certain of a hearty welcome and fraternal assistance when you have proved your right. As an ounce of example is worth a ton of precept, I may perhaps mention that in a journalistic career, now extending over just twenty-five years, I never but once received anything in the way of patronage, and that was extended at the very outset, 
only after a severe test of the grounds upon which recommendation could be made. My parents, in their wisdom, destined me for a commercial career. If I had followed the bent given me when I left school, I should now have been a very indifferent clerk in the Hyde and Valonia business. But, like you, my dear young friends, I felt that my true vocation was journalism, and I determined to be a journalist. I will tell you exactly how I did it. Like you, I meant to be an editor some day, but also, I trust, like you, I felt that it would be convenient, if not necessary, to start by being a reporter. So I began to study shorthand, teaching myself by Pitman's system. When, after infinite pains, I had mastered this mystery, I began to look out for an opening on the press. I had no friends in journalism, not the remotest acquaintance. I made the tour of the newspaper offices in the town where I lived, was more or less courteously received, and uniformly assured that there was no opening. One exception was made by a dear friend whose name is today known and honoured throughout Great Britain, who was then the young assistant editor of a local daily paper. He gave me some trial work to do, and was so far satisfied that he promised me the first vacancy on the junior staff of reporters. That was excellent, but I did not sit down waiting till fortune dropped the promised plum into my mouth. I got at all the newspapers within reach, searched for advertisements for reporters, answered them day after day, week after week, even month after month, without response. At last a cautious inquiry came. The reply was deemed satisfactory, and I got my chance. This, dear young friends, is the short and simple annal of my start in journalism, and you will see that the pathway is equally open to you. End of chapter 6